Let me now invite your attention to uh, the truth as contained in a book uh, that we believe is inspired and fallible. Uh, this one, I hope you've got one. Uh, if you haven't got one, sell your shoes and go get one. Um, we got them on sale here. We don't make a dime, but we'd love for you to follow us as we, uh, as we study it. We're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, so you can find that. Let me say just a couple of quick things. You, you've got to understand just how uh, disappointed we are uh, about Rosaria, um, but of course, you know, first things first, and, um, and her mother and her uh, dying days is, is more of a priority than we are, and, and I, we get that entirely. In fact, we sent flowers and a card, and... but we are disappointed. We hope it gets rescheduled, but I, there's just, um, we had nothing to do with that in terms of the cancellation. Uh, they initiated that, and the... Um, uh, one other thing that I would say to you men, if, um, if you've got a daughter or a granddaughter, uh, this little February the 19th uh, sweetheart dance that we held, hold here every year, boy, you ought to bring her. Uh, she'll never forget her daddy dancing with her. And um, you take them out to supper and just the two of you, or if you've got more than one daughter, the four of you, but um, they'll never forget it. Never forget it. Um, and then that, that 25th anniversary on the 28th, I, um, instead of being gory with the details, let me, just, let me just assure you that the cost that you will pay uh, doesn't cover half of the expenses. The church is underwriting the rest because of, the in, of our intention to make sure that nobody stays home because of money. Um, it is quite a lovely place with quite a lovely meal planned. And um, on a Sunday night, and I hope that you'll come celebrate. Celebrate 25 years of um, faithfulness. Not ours, <laughs> but his to us. Let me read you our text this morning. It's the first four verses of uh, Hebrews chapter 2. You follow as I read that which is inerrant and infallible. The only inspired thing that you will hear today is what I'm about to read in these next four verses. And it goes like this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, I've already pointed out to you um, that we don't know exactly who the author of this book is, the book of Hebrews. It doesn't specify He's never identified by name in the book. But as, 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 you, as you continue to read it, you begin to pick up certain things about him. You begin to learn certain things about the author. Um, 
just by reading what he wrote. And our text is is pretty much a good example of that. Um, You'll notice that chapter 2 opens with the word, therefore. Now, guys, if, if you study your Bibles and you see a therefore, you need to understand that that is introducing uh, some application. Gang, um, the, the, the opening paragraph of chapter 2 is the author's application of what he has just said in chapter 1. Do you get it? He says all this in chapter 1. Yeah, da, you know, chapter 1, chapter 1, chapter 1, chapter 1, chapter 1, chapter 1. Therefore, you see what he's doing. He's just taught you something in chapter 1, primarily that, of the superiority of Jesus to angels. And then he comes to chapter 2, and he introduces it with the word therefore, which ties it to chapter 1, and he makes application of what he said in chapter 1. Now, guys, verses 1 through 4, chapter 2, is really a parenthesis. It's a, it's a pause. It's a pause in his argument. I told you his argument is to establish the superiority of Christ in this book. But he pauses in his development of his argument, and he's going to return to that argument in verse 5. But he breaks off his argument. He, he interrupts his argument to make an impassioned appeal. In the mind of this author, first of all, you can see a pastor at work. But in the mind of this pastor, something very important needs to be said before he proceeds. And it is this. In light of the fact of what I just told you in chapter 1, that God didn't send an angel, but God sent his own son. God God sent his son. He didn't send an angel. Then, the only legitimate, appropriate, rational response is that we must pay much closer attention attention to what we have heard um it is a must in light of who god sent that we pay close attention to everything that we've heard about it guys If Jesus Christ is better than angels, which was the the point of chapter 1, and better than those former prophets, including their much-beloved Moses, then um, for us to play fast and loose with this Jesus is is inexplicable. It's, it's, It's inexcusable. Guys, um, let let me try to paraphrase that, although somewhat more crudely. Um, This is what the author is saying. Who do you think you're dealing with here? 
God didn't send an angel. He sent someone superior to angels and superior to the prophets and superior to Moses. Who do you think you're dealing with? Who, who, who do you think you're, you're toying with? If, if this Jesus is all that I, I said he was in chapter 1, he is not somebody that you simply want to ask into your life to be your assistant. He's, he's not someone that you want to add to your resume so that you can check the religion box. Guys, um, let, let me try to give you an illustration that I hope will help. And, and just trying to explain what the author is doing. Here we go. Have you ever heard of the name the Queen of Sheba? Have you ever heard of that? If you've been raised in the church, uh, you've probably heard of the Queen of Sheba before. Uh, but if you haven't been raised in the church, you've never heard of the Queen of Sheba. Well, the Queen of Sheba is associated with the reign of Solomon in Israel. Now, just a quick history lesson. The first king of Israel was Saul. Now, he didn't do so well. The second king of Israel was David, the, you know, the, uh, the shepherd boy, the one who slayed Goliath. He did great, except for that episode with Bathsheba. And then the third son, or the third king, was the son of David, Solomon. And Solomon took Israel to places that she had never gone before or hasn't since. In terms of prosperity, in terms of safety, in terms of influence in the region. And because of all of that influence in the region, uh, this queen of Sheba, where is Sheba? Well, we don't know. It's south, probably maybe Egypt, something like that. But she's the queen and she hears of Solomon. And so she decides to pay him a visit so that she can see for herself. And so she brings this large retinue of folks and things uh, up to Jerusalem to, uh, to meet with uh, Solomon and to, um, and, and the text says, and to ask him some hard questions. <laughs> oh, they say he's wise. Well, I'm going to show him who's wise. I'm going to ask him some tough questions. So she comes. And she asks Solomon all these questions, and he answers with genius and wisdom. And, and then she gets a tour of the palace, and, and they, they shows her the Jerusalem, and, and they have this big banquet. And, and you know, she, she sees all of this stuff that, that Solomon has done, and all the buildings that he's built, and all of his, his wisdom that she listens to as he, as he answers her questions. And so at the end of her visit, she says this. Having experienced Solomon now, she says this. Queen of Sheba's talking. The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. 
And it goes on and on. But at the end, she gives him this huge gift, in, including 120 talents of gold. Because I, I said this last week, you see, when you're in the, when you know you're in the presence of greatness, the only natural response is to want to give. Well, the Queen of Sheba knows that she's in the presence of greatness. And so she gives. Now, fast forward with me into the New Testament. And on a couple of occasions, Matthew 12, Luke 11, the text says about Jesus, it says, And one greater than Solomon is here. You get that? Queen Sheba says, woo, woo, woo. And you come to the New Testament, it talks about Jesus, and it says, well, let me just say it is. Someone greater than Solomon is among you, which was a reference to Jesus. Now, guys, listen. If you know that you are in the presence of someone greater than Solomon, how can you possibly explain you're trifling with him? Guys, that's, that's the point that the author is making in chapter 2. He opens by saying, do you remember what I just said in chapter 1? Therefore, in light of all that I've said, there's no excuse for us to trifle with him. And and this pastor of of Hebrews, or the one who writes the book of Hebrews, um, a guy who loves his flock, he turns to him and he says, We must. There's a duty. There's an urgency. In the light of who he is, we must. We must bend our wills to his. And in the the language of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, we, we present our bodies as living sacrifices. And he goes on to say, which is our reasonable service. I mean, in light of who he is, Presenting your body as a living sacrifice. That's just reasonable. And the text goes on. We must pay much closer attention. Lest. I love that word. Lest. lest we drift away. God, um, can, can you see why I say you're learning something about the author? He loves his audience. And he's appealing to them. I just told you in chapter 1 who he is. So so you've got to pay much closer attention, lest 
lest you drift. And if you do, it'll be all your fault. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, the things that we do not earnestly heed are the things that we do not value. The reason we don't heed them is because we don't value them. Because we don't value them, we drift. It's a very interesting metaphor. Drifting. Um, it's a nautical term. It's describing a boat that doesn't have an anchor to it. And when your boat doesn't have any anchor, then it drifts. It's a slow process. It's like erosion. You know, erosion is slow. Um, it's like, you know, bowling a frog. You remember that story? Slow. Well, ladies and gentlemen, listen. Spiritual lethargy is slow. Drifting at the very beginning, it's almost imperceptible, but it's it's real. It's ever so slight. Um, but ever so slightly, I begin to loosen my grip on Jesus Christ. Guys, nobody wakes up suddenly one morning and says, I'm walking away from Christ. No, no, uh, that's not how it happens. The drift began long ago. Nobody becomes an alcoholic overnight. Nobody becomes an addict overnight. I mean, I mean you, you, you don't even become an adulterer overnight. No, no, it's all brought on by, look at verse 3, by neglect. Ladies and gentlemen, neglect. Neglect is the besetting sin of the Christian church. And none of us, none of us are going to get away with it. You know, guys, there's a whole lot that's lost because of neglect. Do I need to tell you how many times I see this? Probably weekly. Just recently, in the last, I'll just put it, 72 hours. Somebody posted something on GOL. And I thought, where did you go? Apparently, you're still in town. 
but you're gone. Guys, do I need to tell you like this author tells these people, oh, my friends, do not neglect. The consequences of neglect are enormous. Well, what are they? Well, um, I can't say specifically because it's going to be different for all of us. But, but this much I can say, part of the consequences is the displeasure of God, the frown of God. Now, and, and, and look, look, at the, look at the text. Look at verse 1. Um, Therefore, we, who's that we? Who's he writing this to? The, therefore, we. Who's, who's the we of verse 1? Let me tell you who the we is. It's those who have made a profession of knowing Jesus Christ. His audience is very much like this audience. Now, guys, unless you begin begin to connect the dots in a wrong way, let, let me be very clear. No true Christian is ever lost. I'm going to say that again. No true Christian is ever lost. But guys, that's only half the story. And a half-truth represented as a whole truth is a whole falsehood. Here's the other half of the truth. All true Christians persevere. Jesus said that in Mark 13, 13. Those who persevere to the end will be saved, says Jesus. Here's, here's the truth in its, in its totality. God keeps and God's people, by God's grace, persevere. And then look at the word that he uses. How, look at verse 3. How shall we escape. Hey guys, that's, that's, not a, that's not a playful word, is it? That's an urgent word. Escape what? Well, the, um, the text doesn't specify the what. He will, by the way, later on in chapter 10, specify the what. But you see, it all depends on what kind of person we're talking about. If we're talking about an a lifeless, only profession churchman? And we're talking about escaping. How will they escape hell? But if we're talking about a careless, distracted, negligent, worldly believer... then guys, I would say that there's a lot of things that are at stake. Um, Things like a loss of assurance, utter fruitlessness, disillusionment, chastening, 
Hey guys, you know that when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, David was restored. He wasn't booted out of the kingdom for that moral failure. But you do know, don't you, that his family was an absolute wreck from that day forward? You know that, don't you? It's in here. Guys, the consequences of our neglect are sometimes severe. No one escapes. None of us get away with our sin. Not you, not me. And that verse 4, or the last half of 3 and 4, he's simply saying that God has confirmed all of this. God has, God has um, verified all of this by the, by the preaching of the gospel of salvation and attended it with signs and wonders and miracles. Uh, and he distributed those just as he wills. But the point is, God has confirmed all of this. He has ratified all of this. He has verified all of this. And you're going to forget it? All of that is going to be lost on you? All that he's done, you're going to neglect? That, that's, that's the interruption that this pastor makes in his argument. Because he thought, there's something that needs to be said that's so important before I go any further. This pastor pleads with his audience. And he warns them. Now, this pastor I want to plead with my audience how, how does one see or sense or or noticed or notice that that drifting has begun I mean what does it look like has drifting begun to take place in me? Well, here's some of the things. I, you know, these are just things that I could come up with. I'm sure you could come up with more, but what does drifting look like? Well, talking about him, to him, or of him, that is Christ. That's very rare in your life. And perhaps even non-existent. Prayer occurs in your life only when there's crisis. So talking to him, talking of him, talking about him. That's, that, that doesn't happen. The drift has just begun. Or um, worship becomes a chore. Both um, 
both private worship and corporate worship. I got to drag myself in here. I had a woman say that to me last week. She said that to me. I mean, if you're going to say that, don't say it to me. (laughs) Worship is something that that you drag yourself into just because there's nothing else for you to do. Or maybe things have gotten so bad that you think, well, I better get over there. Maybe I'll get it fixed. That's drifting, ladies and gentlemen. Third, spiritual conversations make you very uncomfortable. Talking about what God is doing in your soul, talking about the kinds of ways that he's ministering grace to you. Ah, I don't know, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't want Here's another sign of, I mean, at least from this pastor that I see in drifting. Acquiring more is so important. There's this eagerness to pursue recreation. i got to drag myself to worship, but I don't have to drag myself in front of the computer as I'm making more and more investments so that I can make more and more money so that I can buy more and more things and I can recreate more and more. You know, it reminded me of the C.S. Lewis quote that you've heard before. It's in his Screwtape Letters book when, when the devil says to his agent, he says this, he says, Keep their mind fixed on the stream of things and call that reality. But never let them ask what reality is. For you, reality is acquiring more, playing more, Buying more. And then my final suggestion is that your conscience has grown inactive. You've learned to rationalize neglect or even sin. You can, you can rationalize the neglect of your soul some way. light of who he is. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Lest we drift. And then shall we escape
you know, some of you know the name Steve Brown, and, and I've, I've told this story about Steve before. I, Steve's a, a, an old buddy, but um, his voice is the standard by which the rest of our voices are measured. I mean, he is um, he's something. Radio program called In Life. But Steve used to describe this like this, and I thought it was quite a metaphor, and I loved it, and I've used it before. But this, this metaphor of drifting, he, 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 he described it like this. He said it's, it's like pleading with people who are dancing too close to the edge of a cliff. And uh, you're a pastor, and you see that your people who are dancing too close to the, you know, the cliff, you know, and they're just, just getting closer and closer. And, and, uh, and the pastor says, hey, could you move back? Could, could, could you come away from, from the edge? Could you, could you, you, you got to watch out there. Could you, could you, could you, could you move back away from the edge of the cliff? And Steve says he pleads and he pleads. And then sooner or later, inevitably, they're gone. Guys, why is it that so few Christians finish well? The anchor gave way. Or said more plainly, neglect. Neglecting the soul. Guys, has the, has the drift has the drift begun in you? Then go back to verse one and heed the admonition. L- lay aside some of those distractions. Sink an anchor deep into Christ. Go deep into the bedrock of faith. Return to your first love. Lest lest we drift. And then if we do, how shall we escape? You know that's a rhetorical question. The answer is, we won't. Steve Brown says one other thing, and I'll close with this. I pray this often. I say, Lord, let me get home before dark. Before anything dark settles over my soul. Before I'm stupid enough to go dally in some sin. Get me home. Get me home before dark.
Oh God, I pray that the same tenderness of the author of Hebrews to his audience will be a tenderness that is that is experienced by this audience. Might they sense because the consequences are so high and because in light of who we have as our Savior that we should never never neglect. And would you um, awaken the, uh, the slothful soul this morning that has begun that steady drift away from a place of spiritual safety. And Father, if you brought somebody here this morning who is nothing but a lifeless professor and that's all, does not have a saving investment into Christ, would you awaken them to see that the consequences that we face as Christians are serious, but the consequences that they face are almost too horrible to mention. Draw them to faith in Christ, Father. And for the rest of us, forgive us that we are so distracted, that we are so interested in pleasure, that our souls are neglected. Use the words of that pastor and this pastor to bring remedy. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.